The Start On Demand. On demand. Today and the next few days will be a little different because Loren McNabb is filling in for Jeff Courier. But we still had her on the show because today is International Women's Day. And this morning, before filling in for Jeff, she emceed a special event. We'll tell you what that was. Also for International Women's Day, we spoke to Dana Spiring, who has done so much to help bring Winnipeg to life. And we asked you to tell us about the women in your life other than your mom who have had a major and positive impact on you. One year ago this week, COVID-19 arrived in Manitoba. We'll hear from a grocery store clerk at Food Fair about navigating a year of mass anxiety. And one of our listeners wants to play matchmaker for me and set me up with her daughter, LOL. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's in for Courier. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Monday, March 8th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and not McNabb. Well, sort of. She's going to join us today at 7.07. She's filling in for Courier uh, for the next couple of weeks. But sorry, Mackling, what was that? About 10 to 20 centimeters of snow? That was the bewildered look on my face that you probably (laughs) captured in the monitor. I'm listening to Kayla's forecast. I'm going, did she just say what I think she said? Yes, apparently 10 to 20 centimeters of snow in central northern Manitoba. Wow, okay. Holy smokes. Okay, so I guess that doesn't count us. We're, we're like south central, but not central central. Doesn't count us, at okay. least not at this point. And I was saying just two days ago how badly, I think it was actually yesterday, I bumped into one of my neighbors and I said, we really need some snow. He's talking about getting ready to cut his grass. And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> we, we need snow. And he's like, yeah, you're right. We do need snow. But if we get a big storm, I'm blaming you, he yeah. says. Okay. Well, that's the thing, right? You, I don't remember the last time there has been this little snow on the ground on March 8th. Maybe since I was a kid. I think it would be 2012 would be the last time. I mentioned that uh, we had that, those crazy temperatures at the end of February. That's right. Several years ago, and listeners said it was 2012. It was 2012, and we went back and looked at the data, and it was insane. And I think that was the year that you said, uh, Brett, that golf courses were open by St. Patrick's Day. That's right. That's right. It was that year, and I remember I remember, I was working that day, and it was gorgeous. It was sunny and gorgeous, and I thought, oh, I'd much rather be at the golf course today. But then things it got cold again for weeks, as far as I recall. Uh, so I don't think I ended up playing for about a month, but as I was out for a walk on Saturday and watching the snow melt, and I looked out onto the river and Wished I was walking on the river, but of course it's, you know, they've they've pulled everything off the river. They've closed it off for the river trail and the skating trail, but that didn't stop everybody from walking on the river. I saw a couple of people walking on the Assiniboine in my neck of the woods. That was on Saturday. Different story on Sunday. The difference even from Saturday to Sunday in terms of the melting uh, was massive. Like even almost all the snow in Munson Park was almost all gone. Like there was still a sort of a thin layer on the ground, but uh, Saturday was much thicker, so... Yeah, it's weird out there. It's weird. Well, you asked me on text how the snow situation was in my yard. And then the front, because you shovel the driveway all winter, and so the snow goes to the edges, and then 
I think we had just one residential plow this year, but there's still a little bit of a snow bank at the end of my yard. But I went in the backyard, the snow is basically all gone yeah. already. And in fact, on the pool, there the snow or the, and ice were already melting. It was... I was waiting for ducks or geese to land on the pool because we've had a family of ducks that, that come for the last couple of years, so I'm, I'm keeping my eye open for them. I know lots of people have been seeing geese already, so are they getting tricked, right? Because if you look at the, at the chart of what season we're in right now, this is, uh, this is fake spring, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we know there's, there's got to be a little bit of winter. Yeah, coming at, at least uh, at least for a short period of time. I saw lots of geese over the weekend. Actually, pardon me, I did see some folks walking on the river yesterday. There was a couple of geese were walking on. <laughs> I looked out my balcony and looked down and thought, "Are those geese on the river?" Sure enough, yeah. So it's kind of kind as much as I despise geese. <laughs> it was nice to see them. Now the temperature yesterday was fantastic. But was the best part of yesterday the sunset and the pink and pure purple hues of the of the sky as the sun was setting? Because you and I were talking this morning, for as nice as the temperature was, it wasn't really that nice of a day yesterday. No, it was, cla- it was just bleak and cloudy. And when I went out for a walk around one in the afternoon, it was windy. So, yeah, it was very nice to see that sunset, uh, just to see the sun, period, because Saturday at least was sunny, but it was also kind of not the, the best day. It was all kind of breezy, but to go yesterday, it was just so uh, dreary. So, yeah, the sunset was spectacular. We've been seeing some just amazing sunsets over the last few weeks. Uh, all you got to do is go on any one of your social media feeds for last night. I'm sure you saw at least five pictures of the sunset. So is the champion, the undisputed weather champion, sunshine and no wind, regardless, almost regardless of the temperature. Yep. Yeah, I would have taken minus sunshine, no wind, minus 25 over what we had yesterday for sure. But and in our next segment, that's actually going to tie into something that you are experiencing, and that is what we would call spring fever. So we'll get into that in a moment. But we also need to mention, of course, we said that Loren is filling in for Jeff today, but she's kind of pulling d- double duty this morning. She's hosting an event, and she's going to tee it up for us at 7.07, and it's an event that ties in with International Women's Day. That's right. It's the Women Build Speakers Series for Habitat for Humanity Manitoba, and so Loren has been emceeing that event for several years. So whether she was filling in for Jeff or not, today we would have been playing without her. She's going to join us at 7.07 to talk about that speaker series, her involvement, and then the relevance and and talk about International Women's Day because you know we're going to get the text messages today, Brett. Uh-oh. Why do we need an International Women's Day? <laughs> this, this is folly. We don't need to... The, no, yes, we do. And, and we will be asking several people throughout the day, why is it still relevant? Why is it still important? One of those people is Dana Spiring. She is the president and CEO of Economic Development Winnipeg. She's going to join us live at 8.07 and... At 6.45, we're going to have a conversation about the women who have had a major and positive impact on your life. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. 
McNabb not with us today, not with us this week. She's in for Jeff Courier this week, but this morning she's up to something for International Women's Day. What's she doing, Greg? She is at a Habitat. Well, here's the thing. Nobody's at anything despite our better COVID-19 numbers. She is virtually emceeing a breakfast for the Women Build for the Habitat for Humanity, something she's been involved in for years. It's the Women Build Speakers Series. No bacon made by anybody else, which is really the highlight for Lorraine, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, Chantel Petticlerk will be addressing the virtual crowd this morning, a very exciting annual event. So we'll check in with Lorraine in about a half an hour and find out how uh, she's preparing for today. A very special day uh, for her personally and, of course, International Women's Day overall. And on this International Women's Day. In our next segment, we're going to talk about the women other than our moms who have had a major and positive impact in our lives. And we want you to tell us a story at 204-780-6864. Your chance to win two tickets to the Zoo Lights Festival at Assiniboine Park. We'll give those tickets away just after 9.15. In the meantime, Jeff Forte, if you please. One year of COVID-19. Your stories on 680 CJOB. It was one year ago this week when it all started. March 12th, 2020, Manitoba health officials confirmed we had our first presumptive case of COVID-19. It was a woman in her 40s who had recently traveled to the Philippines. Didn't take long from there for the dominoes to start falling. Kids were sent home from school. Businesses started closing their doors out of caution. Many of us ended up working from home. Many lost their jobs or were laid off. People got sick. People died. Over 900 Manitobans have died. And this week, we'll be looking back at the various ways the pandemic has changed everything from school to finding new ways to get together when we have to stay apart and more. Today's focus will be on work and play. Whether you're working on the front lines, working from home, got laid off or lost your job, the last year has been tough on us all. And the play side, what have you done for fun for the last year. Coming up at 9.05, we'll speak to Speed World, who are reopening today. Another aspect that's changed, how we shop, particularly groceries. Tarek Zeed is a grocery store clerk in Winnipeg. He spoke with Global's Merrick Takash about the wide array of experiences he's dealt with over the last year. Hey, I'm Tarek Zeed, uh, and I run the produce department at Food Fair. It's crazy, it's gonna be busy. You gotta make sure you're stocked. Make sure you guys fill this up. Go through these peppers, keep an eye on the berries. Make sure it stays full. It's like every day was like that and it was like, how do we keep up? 8 a.m. to 10 p.m., maybe 11 p.m. Like it was 14, 15, 16 hour days. We are doing lots of home deliveries. So I'd stay late and help get those done. Basically just when we finished all those deliveries is when the day ended. I think the toilet paper craze, like that was just, like it would be like toilet paper, we couldn't get anything. Like we'd have like a $15 like package, which is, they never sell, but even like we'd bring a pallet of that and that would go. For a while I was like, people are crazy. And then now I'm like, maybe they weren't crazy. You know, like it just, it was hard to realize what was going on. They were buying everything. We don't have that. 
And no matter what the price was, they were buying it. $36.10. Being able to provide that without running out and having them go somewhere else, especially when they're worried, is, it was a good feeling. You have a nice day. After that first month, you kind of start to burn out. So it was, it was just like, when is this going to stop? When are things going to be normal? And you always think that normal is coming back, but it never did. We see customers argue and like people were definitely on edge. That's two kilos. Like there was at least like one or two situations a day. You want like thin slice, medium? You walk by someone and they, they get upset. Like they're like, oh, you're too close to me. Excuse me, sorry. It, it slowly eased. Like as the restrictions got lifted too in the summer and things started to open back up, it felt a little more like, okay, we're getting back to normal here. You don't have to work those 15 hour days. Only 30 deliveries instead of over 100. You get to go home at five, you know? We just e-mark it. Yeah. Do you grab the Renee's already? I go home when everything's done. Blueberries. As long as I get to go home by nine, it's like, it's a good day. That's how it was last year. Now it's like, I'll probably leave by five and I'm not too worried about it. Like, I know exactly how the day is gonna go. That was Tarek Zaid from Food Fair in conversation with Global's Merrick Takash. If you want to watch that story, we have linked it to our 680 CJOB Instagram. It was almost a year ago, Greg, where you described going to the grocery store. I think actually it was maybe one of our listeners who described it as such, and we've sort of held that throughout the year. Uh, as going to the grocery store as you're there on a mission, get in, get out. Is that still how you treat it? It is very much how I treat it. Uh, I, I typically make a list before I go to the grocery store. Not all the time, but uh, far more often than I ever did before. Before it was like, yeah, we need some things. I would roll up and down the aisles. Oh, yeah, we do need some of that. Yeah, we need some of this. And so I would grab it. But now I still find myself going for very specific reasons. Going to the store more often now than I was probably for the previous you know, nine months or so where we would make a very definitive list and go and try and limit the number of times that we went to the grocery store. But I got to tell you, always felt very safe at the grocery store from the get-go, yeah. from what they did with the carts, what they did in terms of mandating that you have a cart, the arrows on the floor, regardless of whether people were following them or not. The intention was always there. And I felt incredibly safe, but uh, the mention of the run on toilet paper, I, can you can you remember that? And just the just the instant that these uh, rolls of toilet paper would come out, people would would gather them, would gobble them up, and take them home. People were horrified to run out of of all things TP. Yeah, that was the weirdest thing I think that that came out at the beginning of this. All that toilet of all the things we were hoarding, it was toilet paper. So much to discuss throughout the morning. As you mentioned, we're going to talk to Speed World at nine oh five. They're reopening, and Loren is going to be speaking with Enigma Escapes after 10 o'clock today because there's some confusion with escape rooms as to whether or not it's supposed to be households only or not. So much to discuss throughout the day and throughout the week as we look back on how everything has changed over the last year. Mackling. And McGarry, McNabbin for Courier today. Daily Jets update coming up at 6.55. It is International Women's Day. So for this segment, we want you to tell us a story at 204-780-6868. Tell us a story through the morning for your chance to win two tickets for Zoo Lights at Assiniboine Park. We want you to tell us about a woman, 
other than your mom, who has had a major and positive impact on your life. And uh, because the mom would be the, the easy story, right? That's, the, that's almost like an easy way out. I want to make you at least think about this for a second. And it took me, I, I went home and had to think about it. Like, who would be the one? And uh, I think I've zeroed in on one. But let's go around the horn here because we've got Jeff Fortier, Jeff Braun, Cam Poitras. Jeff Fortier, why don't we start with you? It's not just one woman, but so many of them. Uh, teachers, especially teachers, uh, daycare workers. Uh, you know, been going to daycare before kindergarten, of course. So, you know, all the lessons they taught me of just, you know, how to treat people, how to be nice, and just simple, basic human skills. So all the teachers, Miss Dudick, Miss uh, Mrs. Bush, Miss Ham, just so many of them. You remember your daycare, the daycare workers from before you were in kindergarten? Yeah, Miss Sonia. Actually, I still have her on Facebook, to tell you the truth. Get out of here! Yeah, still keeping contact. <laughs> That's amazing. That's great. Right on, Jeff. Jeff Braun. Goes to daycare after work every day, I think, too. <laughs> what? Say that? <laughs> uh, for me, it's easy. I, I, I obviously, I'm picking uh, my girlfriend, uh, Kim. She's... Uh, been a wonderful influence in my life, uh, not the least of which has been on the health front. It's it's nice to have someone concerned about your health. And she gets me to try new things, especially food. I I never would have tried Greek or Indian food before, but now I can go to a whole bunch of different restaurants and find something I like on the menu. And yet you still will only put cheese and bacon on your burgers. Absolutely. Actually, that's what I get at the Greek restaurant we go to. <laughs> that's not Greek. <laughs> but I'll have a bite of the Spanakopita. It counts. It's a long process to change. Very long process for Jeff Braun. Uh, Poitras. Uh, yeah, my fiance. Um, I'm constantly in awe of her. She is incredible. Uh, is able to go through a situation right now that's completely unfair and uh, she stands up for her family and um, she's just the best so well said Cam yeah GMAC I have to follow that thanks a lot Uh, (laughs) Cam uh, obviously uh, you know we have uh, wonderful women in our lives Uh, you know my wife would be a prime example I've got uh, stepmom I've got uh, mother-in-law lots of women but uh, Jeff Forche, you mentioned your teachers and daycare workers. Well, I'm going pre- almost prenatal with my shout out here. I'm giving a shout out to Sue McMahon. She was the, the woman who ran the NICU at St. Boniface Hospital for years and years. And when my boys were born and they spent that first month in hospital, it was almost exclusively a team of incredible female or women nurses that looked after our boys, looked after us, made sure we had everything that we needed in times of crisis, their ability to react calm, cool, and collected is still mind-blowing almost 15 years later when I look back on it. The time that stands out for me was when Alexander stopped breathing in my arms. I was feeding him and all these alarms were going off. His heart rate was falling. He had stopped breathing in my arms and this incredible nurse came over, picked him up, held him up by his head, get his airway going and handed him right back to me. He's good now. (laughs) Basically the equivalent of blowing uh, blowing the dust out of your Nintendo game. And it was that calm, cool, and collected. And that month, I just gained such an incredible 
respect for the work that nurses overall do, but in particular in the neonatal intensive care unit. You see the best and the worst of life in there, and uh, my hat uh, off to those individuals on this International Women's Day. All right, well, now i got to follow that. That's great. So how about I go with the woman who answers the phone at Santa Lucia Pizza on uh, St. Mary's because I speak to her every couple of weeks. Now, that's that's not who it is. But they be a great choice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, it would also be in the, the teacher category. And I had a hard time thinking uh, about this or thinking of the, the why. I can't really put my finger on it. But her name was Madame Lamoureux, Estelle Lamoureux. She was my science teacher at Collège Pierre-Elia Trudeau in Transcona in the uh, early to mid-1990s. And it's not to suggest that any of the teachers who came before her were, were bad. I mean, I had so many great teachers, but there's something about the way that she spoke to us and the way that she spoke to me uh, where I felt more like a peer rather than a pupil. Like I said, it's it's almost an intangible thing, but she just the way that she, she spoke to us, she, it was almost like we were equals to her, and I don't think I got that feeling from any of the other teachers. And uh, I still remember because it was a French school. She she called us. Uh, she called the girls mes petits choux, which I think is cabbage. Um, and and the, the guys were mes cowboy. <laughs> so she called the so the girls were mes petits choux and mes cowboy. And she was wonderful. And I always sort of feel bad because once we got into grade eleven and twelve, where we could pick the sciences. We wanted. I didn't continue with her because she taught biology, and and uh, that wasn't my thing. Uh, but I kind of wish it was because then I would have had more of her. And I've, oddly enough, she ended up in our radio station years back when I was still uh, in Jeff Forte's chair when I was producing for the afternoon drive. And she came in. She was the principal at that point at Trudeau. She came in with some students, and she sat in the control room with me, right, sitting right beside me. And I said. Uh, do you, uh, you remember me? And it took her a second, and then she kind of had this, like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. So it was, uh, that was a, sort of a nice reunion moment. So we need you to text us about a woman who has had a positive impact on your life, a woman who is not your mom, at 204-780-6868, for a chance to win two ticks for the Zoo Lights Festival at Assiniboine Park. I just said two ticks. I just used, like, uh, internet speak, like jargon. That's how I would spell it on you, social uh, should media. Be, uh, you should have your virtual hand slapped for I that. Should, I McGarry. should. On this International Women's Day, we got a great text from Christine right out of the shoot this morning. Sure did. It's International Women's Day, as you noted, Brett. And in the spirit of this day, says Christine, and women forging their way into male-dominated industries, I would like to mention something. As a woman, I have been working in a male-dominated industry for over 20 years. I work outside for a large part of the year. I work hard and I make good use of my work clothes. But living in Winnipeg, I am still astonished that finding work clothes cut and made for women is still difficult. Even places like Mark's Work Warehouse, uh, who specifically supply work clothing, rarely carry work overalls for women in their store. So that means women are forced to buy things online that they can't first try on. I've contacted them multiple times about this as well, as spoken with their work associates over the last two decades. Things have not changed on their end a whole lot in that time. PV Mart does sell some 
product, but mostly women are for, forced to look into male clothing for ill-fitting men's overalls. This might seem like a small thing, but I assure you, clothing that fits is durable and as comfortable is essential to the many women breaking new ground. Why? Are we still being ignored? And that kind of dovetails into what we're about to discuss here because our next guest isn't a guest at all. She, of course, is our co-host here on The Start, except for the next couple of weeks. You'll need to tune into the 10 until noon time slot to bear audio witness to her insight, her journalistic integrity, and lightning quick wit. On this... (laughs) (laughs) And there it is, right out of the gate. (laughs) If that's all I gotta do is laugh, okay, guys, have a great day. Talk to you later. (laughs) Go out on a high note, McMahon. (laughs) Oh, I was saying, you know, that text you just read from that listener, Greg, is it is a good segue in today, not just because we're trying to honor all the strides we've made as women in this country and right around the world, but we need to acknowledge the work that's yet to be done. And so you're speaking from a listener who works outside, works in a male dominated industry, and that's really what I'm doing today at this Women Build Speaker Series event. So, yes, first of all, hello, good morning. I miss you guys already. So if you want to call in at any time between 10 and 2, feel free. I could use the help, I know. Um, I am filling in for Jeff for the next couple of weeks. But this morning I was going to be away anyway because this is the annual Women Build Speaker Series event where women and men come together on International Women's Day for a fundraiser for Habitat for Humanity. And the Women Build is all about getting women out onto the construction site, guys, right? Like having an empowering women to, to in a male-dominated field to learn more about building a home. And then the home often goes towards a single mom. That's the case this year who has who has a child who's working to get on her own two feet and so it's this great charity and today it all comes together with this speaker series which normally would put us all together in the same room today it's virtual where we're going to hear from a fantastic speaker uh to inspire women to go forward today and sort of challenge challenge the norm and that's the theme for this year challenge what you see and see if you can make a difference and so i respect what that woman's doing to try to challenge say Mark's Work Warehouse or whoever else is not providing the proper clothing and and continue doing that because um, when you hear from people like that, that gives you the strength, I think, to go forward and try to fight whatever you're fighting on your own front. Well, I think it just goes to highlight as well just sometimes the things that fall through the cracks along the way in terms of the change in the economy, the change in who's doing what and performing which jobs and functions, right, Loren? It's just sometimes there's 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 just not, not a quick enough uptake on, right. uh, on the things that maybe we don't even realize should be changing. I'll never forget. It was about, I think it had to have been 12 years ago was my first trip, 2006, to Afghanistan. And at that time, we'd only sent as a network, I believe we hadn't sent any female reporters yet. So I was the first female to go for Global News. And um, we had a flak jacket that sort of got passed around. Well, of course, I'm just a different size than most of the men and camera people going. And so I said, sorry, is there not one that's smaller and for 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 me or fit for me? And they said, well, go ahead and order one. And I had to go find one made out of, I think it was in the States at the time, and it cost a lot. And and uh, I could I could tell the bosses were they were fine with that, but it was also just like, do you really do we need to get a special flak jacket? I was like, do you want to go into the field with a flak jacket that doesn't fit? And we had to go sourcing this out, right? It's just these small things along the way that make you realize how often things are structured for the man of the world versus the female of the world. And so that's the sort of just, it's little, it might seem small, but it can be a very big deal in the end if you don't have the proper equipment or jacket or whatever it might be in your life. So this is kind of a a super basic question, I guess, but I'll ask it anyway, because it's sometimes the simple questions are the the most important ones. Uh, International Women's Day in general, why is this important to you, Loren? 
Oh, well, I think, you know, for, for me, there's a number of things that stand out. First of all, I think we need to celebrate the women in our lives and the men in our lives that are helping women along the way to, to break those glass ceilings or enter into male dominated forces or workforces or what have you. But I also, I really do think guys a lot about my travels all over the world. And I, and I, on this day, uh, I believe it was 10 years ago, I was in Afghanistan again and there was women who were defying the men in their lives um, because they were under a Taliban regime or in part, and they weren't allowed to go out and weren't allowed to do their own things. And they, they left to go to a march in Kandahar to honor one another and to be together. And I think of the women who are really, to this day, still don't have remote, not just, you know, equal rights and gender and, and equal pay and all the rest, but, but can even in some parts of the world do the very small things that we now as women take for granted in this country, like drive or go to school or have that job. And so, um, I think it's important to not just talk about what we're, what we're feeling today as Canadians, but what's going on in the rest of the world, right? Because it's such a very different picture depending on where you are. And so I will I will never forget this woman who told me that her husband and her son treated her like a dog, like she was owned by them. And on that day, under her burqa, she brought her daughter with her to this event and was showing her face uh, to me and to other journalists talking. And I don't, I don't know what happened to her. I don't know if she went home that day and her husband found out or what might have become of her. But that's the kind of person I think of, the sheer will to say, I'm going to stand up today and go up there and celebrate everything that I can be and want to be and everything more that I want for my daughter. And so that's why for me, I, I, I can see her face right now and I, God, I hope she is well. Thanks for that, Loren. Incredible memory. We uh, appreciate everything you do on this show. We appreciate you, period. Dot. We'll speak with you in about two and a half hours. Good luck today performing without bacon that no someone bacon. has made, has not made. <laughs> no you. bacon. No. That's, that's, I mean, I want to say the highlight is the women getting together, and it is. But the bacon, guys, it's a whole tray of bacon at my free. I can go get as much bacon as I want usually, and now I can't. I will say <laughs> I put a dress on this morning. I'm wow. not even in my pajamas. Yep. Yeah, I'm in a dress. Okay, are you wearing pajama pants? Nope, it's the same dress I wore. I was kind of curious if it would still fit. And? I'm not going to answer. Well, you know what? You don't see the back when you're on a virtual. <laughs> so does the zipper have to go up? I don't think so. Does it? These are the these are the questions I'm asking. You can find more information on this event at globalnews.ca slash Winnipeg, cjob.com. We've linked it as well to our 680CJOB Instagram. And I just got a text here from Greg, too, saying, hey, Brett, you're being set up on our text line. So... Uh, hang on. Let me just have a peek here. It, oh, yeah. Whoa. That's, uh, there's a picture here. Mm-hmm. I like what I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm gonna, this is somebody's daughter, I guess. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm still here. Am I allowed to weigh in still? I think I'm going to weigh in on this one. Yeah, uh, very quickly. <laughs> Come on, Dad. You got to take take it down. This is Your daughter looks amazing. She seems like a nice person. She's got a great career. You know what? Make the match. Go for it. Okay. I'll have to investigate. After You'll never forget your match on International Women's Day. <laughs> Mackling and McGarry, McNabb in for Courier. I just, I have to follow up on what we just mentioned. Greg sends me this text saying, hey, look at the text line. You're, someone's trying to set you up. So I read this text from Sandy who says, a woman who inspires me and constantly makes me say, wow, my daughter, Ashley, she accomplished her nursing degree. A four-year program finished in three. She has been in the NICU, 
Did I say that right, Greg? You did. Hey, Nick, you at HSC for a few years now. And in spite of things uh, getting tough for the last few months, she is tough and has not let anything define her. She is the most beautiful, smart woman I know. Even if she was not my daughter, I would be in awe of her. I love this woman so much. And hey, Brett, she's single. <laughs> Winky face. And then there's a picture. Look, look, Brett. So I'm sure <laughs> I wonder if Ashley would be happy to learn that Sandy is trying to, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know what the word is. Set you up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Matchmaker, matchmaker. Yeah. So Sandy, you have my attention. How's that? What else can you say about that? <laughs> Other than uh, our listeners are like family, and the fact that you share the intimate stories that you do with us uh, really is uh, very special to uh, all three of us. Uh, Loren McNabb, uh, one more time. Not with us this morning. She'll be on the air at 10 o'clock. She'll sneak in just before 10, and we'll get a sneak preview as to what she's got up her sleeve from 10 until noon. And uh, she's going to be filling in for Jeff Courier for the next couple of weeks, Brett. And coming up at 8.37, oh, it's Monday. Are we talking to Bob Irving today? Bob Irving, lots to talk about. Jets curling and uh, DeChambeau on the links. Holy smokes, that guy can drive a ball. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, uh, he hits it big. He hits it big. Hit one just decided to, instead of going around the hole, he's just, I'm going to go over this water. It's at like 320 yards. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, Ackling and McGarry McNabb in for Courier this week. Question of the day at cjob.com. Brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. And the question has to do with what we're doing all week long here on CJOB. Looking back on one year of the pandemic, because March 12th, this Friday, marks the one-year anniversary when we first learned that COVID-19 had entered Manitoba. Question has to do with Merrick Takash's story from earlier, from last hour that we shared at 637. How have your grocery shopping habits changed over the last year? Your options are, I now order my groceries for delivery or pickup. I go to the store less often. I stock up on items I didn't buy before, or my shopping habits haven't changed. Cast your vote, cjob.com, and we'll get uh, sort of an altered version of that up on Twitter as well, at 680CJOB. Right now, we want to shift our attention to what aired on Global TV last night. And Greg, uh, were you... Were you heartbroken when you learned that uh, Meghan Markle was off the market? Oh, well, no. Uh, (laughs) But of course, when those sorts of things happen, you you know, you think about what if. Uh, Because you you like the Meghan Markle. I love Meghan Markle and I enjoyed her character in Suits and her and Mike were a great on-screen couple. But boy, oh boy, fact and fiction are seldom... Similar, fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, last night we heard from the prince and, well, now the former duchess. That's right. Prince Harry and his wife, Meghan Markle, have broken their silence on why they left the royal family in a tell-all interview with Oprah Winfrey, which aired last night on Global TV. But as Global's Mike LeCouture reports... It may come at a cost for the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. If that comes with risk of losing things, I mean, I've there's a lot that's 
been lost already. An inside and unvarnished look at the British royals from Prince Harry and Meghan broadcast nearly a year to the day the couple attended their last official family function as royals. I don't know how they could expect that after all of this time, we would still just be silent if there is an active role that the firm is playing in perpetuating falsehoods about us. The firm is the not-so-friendly term to describe the often reserved and sometimes restrictive royal family. Some see similarities between this interview and the one given by Princess Diana decades ago, in which she broke her silence alone. I can't begin to imagine what it must have been like for her going through this process by herself all those years ago. Diana's interview shattered the public image of the royal family and observers believe it could happen again after Meghan and Harry's candid conversation. They spent years trying to repair their image in the public eye. It's going to be exactly the same with this one, no matter what Harry and Meghan say, People are going to be very quick to form opinions. Looking Perhaps forward. in an effort to counter any negative narrative, the Queen released this message ahead of Commonwealth Day, trying to paint the royals as relatable. In our everyday lives, we have had to become more accustomed to connecting and communicating via innovative technology, which has been new to some of us. Notably absent from the video were Meghan and Harry, who relinquished royal duties a year ago, in part because of the intense media glare. We all know what the British press can be like, and it was destroying my mental health. I was really? like, this is toxic. Moving to California helped the couple escape that life, but granting these types of interviews will thrust them right back into the spotlight. Mike LeCouture, Global News. So what do you think? Is this going to be good for them or bad for them? I have no idea how this is going to turn out, uh, Brett, but I do know that from a personal standpoint, I've been questioning the relevance of the royal family in terms of Canada, which is, you know, which is most important to me for a long, long time. And, you know, the, the terminology, the firm, I asked you about that because I know you've watched The Crown. I was curious if, if that terminology had come up in that in that uh, miniseries in any way, shape, or form, because it's been my belief for a long time that Canada should move on from the monarchy, and and uh, then you add the Julie Payette situation into the fray, and perhaps it's time for, for Canada to negotiate its way out of the Commonwealth or, or similar. But the firm, that, that phrase really jumped out for me, and Mike LeCouture used it in his report there. Yeah, I don't remember it being used in the Crown that's not to say that it wasn't. I kind of plowed through that. I watched all four seasons in just under a couple of weeks. So by the end, it was sort of a haze. <laughs> it was like, okay, can I please watch something else now? Great show. But uh, regardless of whether or not they used that specific term, I wasn't surprised to hear that term because of the way that the royal family was portrayed. Very complex portrayal, by the way, where you, you have these mixed emotions where you, you feel bad for them at times and at other times you just hate them. Just hate them. You know, even listening to the Queen in that address that was meant to make them look more relatable or whatever, she just sounded so disconnected in that quote that was in Mike LeCouture's story. Uh, just made her sound almost completely irrelevant. So I'm curious to see if there's going to be any fallout of this. And uh, you can see more at globalnews.ca as well. And we've linked some of the highlights to our Instagram story. But here's just a couple more snips from uh, when Harry and Meghan met Oprah. Did you make Kate cry? No. 
So where did that come from? Was there a situation where she might have cried or she could have no, cried? No, no, the reverse no. happened. It's a go. You could have a daughter. And I, I just didn't, I just didn't want to be alive anymore. And that was a very clear and real and frightening constant thought. My family literally cut me off financially and I had to afford, afford security for, for us. Wait, hold, hold up, wait a minute. Your family cut you off? Yeah, in the first half, the first quarter of 2020. But I've got what my mum left me. And yeah. without that, we would not have been able to do this. So I don't know how many people are going to be feeling bad for Harry with regards to being cut off from the royal family. I understand it's a, a world that I don't understand completely, and that would obviously be life-changing for him. I don't know how much sympathy he's going to get on that front. A couple other questions, Brett, and they may go unanswered, at least in this segment. Is Oprah, plain and simply, the best interviewer ever? I think so. She like she's, she's second to none, right? She is the queen, and if... Princess Diana's interview where she spoke about the things as openly as she did and her experience within the royal family didn't change anything. If her death, the way it went down, didn't change anything, I'm not so confident that an interview like what we saw last night is going to be anything more than a blip on the radar for the royal family in Great Britain after all is said and done. Today, on this International Women's Day... It was impossible, impossible to contemplate this morning would be complete without a woman who has become synonymous with doing, plain and simply, everything she can to make Winnipeg a better place to live. In our opinion, her, her name says it all with the help of two letters. We call her Dana Inspiring here on The Start. She is the president and CEO of Economic Development Winnipeg. She is also the chair of the board of the Winnipeg Football Club and Brett, I think you know this, but not all of our listeners do, probably do. The first woman to ever have her name engraved on the Grey Cup. Good morning, Dana. Good morning, guys. That's quite an introduction. Well, we do our best, and I know you've heard the inspiring <laughs> thing, I'm sure, for an awfully long time. But that's that's how we feel about you uh, on this program, and I think a, a lot of people in our community do. That last achievement, achievement, the, getting your name engraved on the Grey Cup, would that be found anywhere on a list of goals or aspirations <laughs> you've created for yourself in the past? I can promise you I never would have even thought of it in a million years. It was, it's an incredible honor, but I, I didn't even know that that was in the cards until Grey Cup weekend uh, in Calgary last year. Uh, Dave McWinney, who, who is the keeper of the cup, he, uh, we were at an event on the Thursday night before the big game, and, and he said, you know, do you want to get your picture with the cup? And I said, no, because I, I know that that's very superstitious. You're not supposed to do that. And so I, I, he said, you know, Dana, I, I'm just so proud of you. And he said, if you guys win on Sunday, your name will be the first woman's name ever on this cup. And, and it was the first I heard of it, and uh, it was an incredible, incredible honor. So we got to ask you this: uh, If no one, nobody's gonna, if nobody will say it to your face this morning, you know there are going to be people out there whispering or perhaps shouting. Why do we need an International Women's Day? So what do you think about that? You know what? I think we we need to celebrate accomplishments and we need to raise each other up. And and you know, women have have 
hit a lot of glass ceilings for a long time. The world has changed, no question, and, and there's a, a ton of opportunities out there, but it wasn't always that way. And I think, you know, it, it's great to recognize the people that, that came before us. It's great to celebrate those accomplishments. And, you know, we, we want to celebrate everybody on, on various days, but, but I think this is really important, and, um, and, and I'm really proud to be a part of it. At what point did you ever, or maybe you haven't experienced this, but I'm going to guess you have, Dana. At, at what point did, did you have to kind of take a second look and go, really? I'm going to have to deal with this on your way up the ladder? Was, is there a story you can share with us? Well, you know what? I, I've had lots of experiences where, you know, I'm the only woman in the room. And, and I started my career as a lawyer. I went into the grain business, and if there's anything, you know, any industry that has more guys than maybe football, it might be the grain industry. So I remember starting, I remember walking into a, a, a farmer's field with a bunch of executives, and, and the farmer gave me a big look up and down and said, you? You work at the wheat board? Thinking, you know, something doesn't quite make sense here. And, and you know, all those kind of things happen, and, and, and no, no offense to anybody. I think people had to get used to a different way the, the world was turning and, and had to do different things. And, you know, we all came out of it, I think, a little better than when we started. Now, in terms of the, the pandemic, you know, it's safe to say that pretty much everything kind of hit a wall, hit a brick wall, and all momentum was lost. Now, what are your thoughts on how we can recapture much of the momentum that Winnipeg seemed to be generating for itself prior to the pandemic? You know, we've got to get ourselves healthy and we've got to get our community vaccinated. And, and that's going to be, you know, our primary goal. We're not going to see great economic growth until we get a vaccine. And, and we know that. But what we do as this vaccine is rolling out and what we do now is we're looking at how to attract people to Winnipeg when, you know, when the skies open up and people can travel again, is we're really focused on what we do well. You know, the, the Inuit Arts Centre is going to open later this month and, and what what a gem that we're going to be able to go and, and sell and, and get people to come and experience. You know, there's lots of things that, that are happening in Winnipeg, and, and we've got to start gearing ourselves up to be ready to welcome people back. And I think, you know, there's going to be a gap. There's going to be a time when it, we're safe and it's okay to go out, and there may be a gap between that time and when tourists are going to start coming again. And during that gap, it is so important that Winnipeggers get out, that Winnipeggers be ambassadors and support all of the businesses and support the attractions and really make sure that they're ready to be great hosts when the world comes to Winnipeg again, because it will happen. Well, that's something you've suggested for a long time, that we be our own best uh, promoters and our best ambassadors. Quickly, uh, Dana, we're asking our listeners this morning, the women that have inspired them other than their mothers, uh, because I think for most of us that's a given. But have you got a, a woman along the way that, that maybe uh, set uh, a trail for you or, or helped you break that glass ceiling along the way? You know what, I've been fortunate to have a lot of strong women in my life, but I met Janice Fulman, our Lieutenant Governor, when I was in high school. I, I did a volunteer program with her called Manitoba Alive, and, and she taught me when I was 17 years old that, you know, you've got to give back, and you've got to make your community a great place, and we all have a role to play in doing that. And, and that's something that stuck with me, and, and I think, uh, you know, I saw her on, on the weekend, and, and it's, it's one of those things that, that I carry with me, and, and really grateful to have had that time with her. Well, Dana Spiring, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We're always happy for the time that we get to spend with you. I love it, too. Have a great Monday, you guys. Dana Spiring, President and CEO of Economic Development Winnipeg, joining us live on this International Women's Day.
Mackling and McGarry. McNabb filling in for Jeff Courier for the next little while. Coming up after Global News at 9 o'clock, we are going to speak to Speed World as they are reopening today. Recreation facilities got the green light to reopen as of this past Friday. So we'll check in with Speed World as they get back to work. And you can go right around in an indoor track, ride a go-kart. Ah, that sounds like fun. Remember fun? Yeah. Yeah, right now, this is always fun, at least, to start Mondays. It was a tough Saturday night for the Winnipeg Jets. <laughs> I was actually doing uh, uh, using the House Party app to chat with some buddies, and I turned on the Jets game, and I'm like, what? Five nothing? Oh. What period is it? And, and then oh. it didn't get any better from there. But, yeah, so tough Saturday night for the Winnipeg Jets and their fans. Bryson flexing his muscles on the PGA Tour, and the Briar is well underway. Yeah, it's Monday, and following a busy weekend in sport, we reach out to the one and only and connect with the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Bob Irving. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, you guys. So let's start with the Jets, if we must. A 7-1 humbling at the hands of the Montreal Canadiens on Saturday. The Jets, as uh, many of us know by now, play the division-leading Maple Leafs three times this week, starting tomorrow. How do you imagine the Jets will respond, Mr. Irving? Well, I think they'll respond well, Greg. I I think what happened Saturday is just one of those games that teams have every now and then, a 7-1 loss, hardly characteristic of the season the Jets have had. I find in a lot of these games the level of determination that one team has versus the other is what makes a difference, and it was clear on Saturday night. And the Jets got some bad breaks, too. The first goal was a real fluke, but the, the Canadians' level of determination to me was a little higher than the Jets, and that just happens. And then it turned into a rout. Neither of the Jets' goalies was very good, and so you get 7-1. to one. <clears throat> Now, again, I don't think there's any cause for panic because the Jets haven't had many games like that this season. Now the real test comes, right? Toronto's got the best record in the league. Toronto and Florida are vying for the top record in the league. So you got Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, games in Toronto, and then back home to play two more against Montreal. That will put the Jets past the midway point of the <clears throat> pardon me, 56-game season. And uh, we'll have a pretty good indication then of, of where they stand, keeping in mind that a three-game winning or three-game losing streak can turn the standings almost upside down. So, Greg, you and I have talked about this before, and, Brett, uh, this is going to be a, something we'll follow game to game, uh, and it won't be until we get into the 50-game the mark where, you know, you can either be comfortable that the Jets are going to be in a playoff spot or kind of worrying that uh, they're on that playoff line. It's sort of CFL-esque, isn't it, Bob? Yeah, yeah it really is. It's... Uh, you just don't know what's going to happen next. I mean, Vancouver's had a tough start, and they've started to play better now. Calgary will have a new coach going forward, and everybody expects Daryl Sutter to snap the Flames into shape. So, yeah, it's going to be fascinating in the North Division. Moving from the ice to the links, the the mad scientist, Bryson DeChambeau, was doing his Popeye impression at the Arnold Palmer Invitational at Bay Hill this week, and he managed to edge Lee Westwood and Canadian Corey Connors for the win. Tough result for Connors, of course. But but what's your take on DeChambeau? I mean, his monster drive on hole six, for example, drew plenty of attention, but in the end it was his ability to tame his putter which led yeah. him to victory. Well, I like him. Uh you know that commercial, that beer commercial about the most interesting guy in the world. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau is the most interesting guy in golf right now. Uh, he came along a couple of years ago with this odd view of playing with all his clubs the same length, which 
no pro had ever done before on the PGA Tour. So that was kind of curious. And yet he went out, had some success with it. He is indeed, Brett, as you say, the mad scientist. Uh, he's pushed the boundaries of the game in a way that nobody has. And then about, just over a year ago, he thought, I'm going to see if I can get more power and, and really change the game in that regard. So he put on 40 pounds of muscle, and now he's driving the ball further than anybody ever has. I mean, he'll have to drive 350 yards. It's, it's almost laughable, and I know the players he plays with each round have said it's a, it's a show unto itself. He's an entertainer to a degree. I think most of the golf fans love him. He's clearly the most talked-about player in the game, and that win in the Arnold Palmer was his eighth win, his eighth PGA Tour win. Now, for those who follow golf, that's a lot at the age of 25 or 26, which is what the Shambo is. So he's a fascinating study. He really is. He's, he's doing things differently than have ever been done before, and he's got more than the power. He's got great finesse as well. And uh, I can't wait to see what the next few years are going to hold in store for DeChambeau. Nobody will ever match what Tiger Woods did over, say, a 10-year span. But I think DeChambeau has a chance to be really dominant, and he's showing that already. That sixth hole at Bay Hill sort of a backward C. And so if you, you could hit it in a straight line across the, this vast area of water, uh, I think it would take something like a drive of about 430 or 450 yards to get across the water. But most of the players kind of go follow the, the curve of the sea. And DeChambeau was going across the water, not to the green, but way further ahead. I think, Brett, on Saturday he had one, I think his drive was 372 yards. Do you think he's a sideshow or a distraction, McGarry? A sideshow or a distraction? Because mm-hmm. there are some people who feel that way about him. I don't know. I think it, any. I think any attention that gets brought to the game is good, and he give especially given how much respect he has for the game. Right, like Bob, he knows he he's not just a you know mad scientist, but he's also a golf historian. Yeah. And they showed how much respect uh, he has for Arnold Palmer. You know, he got a letter from Arnold Palmer, which he has on his wall. Right, like he just loves this game. Well, he's not a sideshow because he wins, right? I mean, if he Fair. was a guy hitting long drives and, and not producing any results, then you'd maybe consider him a sideshow. But, you know, he's won eight times. He won a major already. Uh, no, he's the real deal. And, and I think he's what he's going to do is he's going to bring more people to the game of golf simply because of the power. People love power. And I know when he drove that uh, across that uh, pond you're talking about, Greg, uh, you know, the fans went crazy. They, they love that sort of stuff. So, no, he's an entertainer, but he's also a winner. He's a tremendous talent. And, uh, you know, like him or not, you better get ready for him to be around and be, be near the top of leaderboards, I think, for quite some time. I like both of your uh, answers there. Uh, the Briar is underway in Calgary, as we know. Manitoba rep Jason Gunlickson is at 2-0, and off to a good start, obviously. Wild card entry Mike McEwen in Manitoba has won two in a row following an opening draw loss to New Brunswick. If you can, set your PVR or work it into your day. <laughs> nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Gunlickson and McEwen go head-to-head this afternoon at 2.30. But surprise, surprise, Bob Irving, Kevin Cooey and his wildcard rank are 4-0 and and firing on all cylinders. This is one tough field. Yeah, it is one tough field. Now, the good thing for McEwen and Gunnickson is that Cooey and Brad Gushu are in the other pool. Uh, but uh, when I wasn't watching the Markle and Harry show last night, I went back and watched the curling and the game between Cooey and, and Gushu, and it was excellent 
course, uh, you know, those are two of the top teams in the world. Mike McEwen got off to a horrible start losing to New Brunswick, but played super in, in a win over Northern Ontario and then BC. And Jason Gunlingson sitting at 2-0. They play each other, Greg, as you said, at 2.30 this afternoon. So one of them is going to take a major step forward and the other is going to be scrambling a bit after that game today. You know, Mike McEwen, you mentioned how much fun it is to watch Kerry Anerson curl because of uh, the, the jovial, at times, attitude of her rink. Mike McEwen's really come around on that side as well. It was, for a long time, very uncommon to see Mike McEwen even crack a smile. But he seems to have, have shifted gears on that front a tiny bit, Bob. Yeah, he was smiling quite a bit in the games uh, that, that they played on the weekend. I think he's lightened up a bit. He's now 40 years of age. He takes the game very seriously, and he is truly one of the best shot makers in curling. He hasn't had the success, I don't think, on a national or international scale that he, he might like to have or maybe should have given his talent. But he's a tremendous, tremendous player. And uh, we'll see what he does the rest of the week. I know winning a, a Briar Championship in this year after the tough times we've all been through would be the highlight of his career for sure. Bob Irving joins us every Monday just after the 8.30 news for a sort of catch-up on weekend sports. Bob, thanks for the time as always, sir. Okay, you guys. It is 8.47 on 680 CJOB. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb in for Courier. It's funny, Greg, yesterday I was going back and forth with somebody. Uh, I mean, I'm not a, I wouldn't say I don't like Bryson, but I, I'm not a huge fan of his either. But one of our, she's a listener, Kim, hates Bryson DeChambeau, just hates him. Hates the fact that, that they were, the announcers wouldn't talk about anybody but Bryson. But Bob makes a point. He is one of the most compelling characters in the PGA. He does things that no one else does. And he kind of lives on his own little planet. Well, it was actually Kim's comments on Twitter that I had in mind when I crafted that question about whether or not he's a distraction. And and, and both you and Bob made great points with regards to his respect for history of the game. And, and Bob, well, you know, you don't win this many times and a major if you're a sideshow. But I think that is what he is going to have to battle against is that perception that uh, you put on 40 pounds of muscle, uh, you flex your muscle the way you do, uh, it's not traditional. And, you know, golf is a traditional game. and Some people are uneasy with that shift. Yeah, and but he, also to his credit, the, the whole weight gain thing, that, that drew him a ton of publicity. So if that's what he's looking for, mission accomplished. He's since dialed back on that, right? I think he's backed off. Of- I think so, but I don't follow golf as nearly as closely as I did once upon a time. Yeah, I think he backed off on that because he gained that weight very quickly. He was aggressive in gaining that weight, and I think it was actually making him a little too aggressive, so he's since backed off on that to try to enjoy himself a little bit more. His head like often looked like it was going to explode. He was so angry all the time. That's right. One year of COVID-19 in Manitoba this week. Today we are focusing on work and play. And we're about to speak to a Winnipeg business operator, Greg. That encompasses both. Indeed we are. Recreation facilities were allowed to reopen as of this past Friday. Speed World, the indoor go-kart track, is one of them. Bridget Sawatsky is the senior operations manager at Speed World and joins us now. Good morning, Bridget. Good morning, guys. How are you today? We're really well. It's always great to speak with you. And uh, in this situation, it's with good news. Exciting day for you today. Excited to open the doors? Oh, my goodness. We are so excited. COVID's been hard on so many businesses, including ours. Uh, Since the start of COVID, we've actually been closed. As of yesterday, it was 200 days. 
So today is a big day for us. We spoke to you in December. Uh, did you think then in December that you'd have to stay closed until March? Well, you know, I don't think anyone thought it was going to take this long for everyone to reopen. But, uh, you know, I think that the province has a tough job and keep everyone safe. And uh, we all play a role in that. So I'm just grateful that today is the day. When you look past, you know, look over the past year, what's been the toughest part of this? Obviously, the financial impact of all these closures is is you can measure it, but it's almost immeasurable because uh, you, you don't know exactly how much business that you've left on the table and lost out on. But what has been the uh, the other challenges besides the financial ones, Bridget? Well, I think one of uh, my own personal challenges and probably one that's shared with many you know local small business owners is the fact that we have to uh, lay off our staff. Our staff here are genuinely like our family. So to see that they've lost their jobs has been, you know, really heart-wrenching for us. And we've done everything we could to support them. But at the same time, you know, there's only so far that you can go as a business owner when you have zero income coming in. Uh, I'm thrilled that every single one of my staff is coming back this week. They're all happy to be back to help our customers. And uh, I think everyone's looking forward to this reopening. Well, and I guess, yeah, that's that's also part of the what, like, what you do. You know, your business provides people with an escape, with an avenue to get out and play and blow off some steam. So has it been tough from that perspective, not being able to provide that outlet to, to help people? Oh, absolutely. And I think people are really looking for that now. Uh, you know, unlike some other businesses like restaurants, the household only rule actually won't apply to us. Uh, so people will be able to come in with their friends and have a good time. However, that doesn't mean that we have to, you know, that we can forget about the fundamentals and uh, physical distancing, staying home when you're sick, washing your hands, all the stuff that we hear about every day uh, from, you know, our health authority. That's all still so important. But now people get to go out, have some fun, and it's going to be great to see people smiling and laughing. And I think that uh, personal interaction is something that everyone has really been missing and is longing for right now. How does it work with the carts? Are there any carts that you can share with or with somebody, or is it all individual riders? No, all of our carts are individual carts. So everyone will drive and race their own cart. Right now, we are at 25% capacity. So what that means is that we only have 15 people in our facility, which is 30,000 square feet. So obviously, there's lots of room for people to go out there and have fun. Uh, you know, it is a non-contact sport, or most of the time, we hope that it's a non-contact sport in the go-karts. So, uh, yeah, so it's, it's one of those activities that really is an individual activity that is fun and safe as well. Yeah, it's a spectacular facility, one that's very popular with uh, many of my friends. But that notion of the household rule not applying to you, I know that there have been some businesses uh, in, in that activities world, such as yourself, that have been unsure about how that works. So uh, mm-hmm. th- that's definitive, Bridget? Yes, the household-only rule will will not apply. However, we are asking people to, of course, be respectful of those fundamentals. Don't arrive in the same car. You know, show up. If you want to meet your friends here, that's great. Masks will be required to be worn while you're inside the facility at all times. And also when you're here with only 15 people, anyone who is not in the same household will be required to physical distance while they're here waiting for their races. Uh, so ultimately, you know, it's a little bit different than some of the other facilities where you're, you know, having close contact with them in a small space. Here we have a huge amount of space, so we can easily ensure that all of those households are not only wearing masks, but also ensuring that they have physical distancing between them. Is 25% capacity enough to even make it worth it? Well, you know what? 
if I can bring my staff back at 25% capacity, then it's 100% worth it. Bridget, can I, can I say something here? Uh, you know, it's been so difficult this past year for so many people, but to hear your voice, to have you on air with us this morning and sounding so positive, so pumped up about, you know, opening at 25% capacity, the restrictions, the rules that you need to enforce, I, I just you're an inspiration, and I, I just want to thank you for just this positive point of view that you're bringing to the discussion this morning. It's very important and, and very uplifting. Well, I think we all have to stay positive. This year has just been so tough on so many people, and I think everything is moving in the right direction, and we have to keep that positive attitude. It's going to be a beautiful day outside. It's a Monday morning. Speed World's open. So what is there not to be positive about? I think that everything is, is you know, going in the right direction, and we have so much to look forward to right now. Even if it is a 25% restriction and small groups and gatherings, you know what? I'm just happy to have my doors open, have my staff here, be able to spend some quality time with some of our customers and just have some fun. Bridget Sawatsky, Senior Operations Manager at Speedworld, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Bridget, thank you for the visit. Always appreciate it. And, and thank you so much for having me. Have a great day, guys. It is 9.13 on 680 CJOB. And if you want more info on Speedworld, the website is speedworld.ca. I'm just picturing, I just drove by it the other day. It's on uh, St. Matthews, right? It's on St. Matthew's, just west of Route 90. Okay, that's right. Yeah, I drove by and thought, oh, hopefully they can open their doors soon because that sounds like a lot of fun. Just nice to be able to get out and do something other than go for a walk. They don't give away 30,000 square feet of of industrial space in Winnipeg. That's a, that's a big nut. That's a big rent payment they have to make every month. And the fact that they've survived this long is also very encouraging. Happy to see it. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is in for Jeff Courier. We'll touch base with her just after 9.50. We got to give something away. Two tickets. Zoo Lights at Assiniboine Park based on your text messages on this International Women's Day. We have been asking you to text us about a woman who has had a major and positive impact on your life. I just want to read this one. It doesn't qualify for the contest, and I'll explain why in a moment. going to feel super grinchy about that, but this person says, where do I even start with the most amazing woman in my life? My mother, one of the most resilient, caring, selfless people I have ever met. She has always put everyone else's needs above her own. She has been there through thick and thin. No, only for me, not only for me and my siblings, but for the many friends and nearly 30 foster children she has treated as her own children. She is in her mid-60s and continues to work full-time so she can continue to provide for her family. She is one of the strongest women I know. Having lost her family home in the 90s, she picked up our broken family while my father was working abroad and worked tirelessly to find us a new home so we had a roof over our head. Such an amazing woman, and I couldn't be happier to call her my mother. That's just, that's extraordinary. But um, the caveat (laughs) (laughs) for the contest was that it had to be a woman who is not your mother. Oh, and so, as the person who put that caveat in place, I, I want to apologize <laughs> to that listener. I'm so sorry. Well, I, and I replied and said, this is an amazing story. Your mom sounds wonderful, but, you, you know, we need it to be not be your mom. And they said, that's okay. I don't care about the contest. I just wanted to talk about my mom. Well done. So that's amazing. Linda's a runner-up, Greg. What did Linda have to say? The woman in my life who made a big difference to me was my teacher, Mrs. Whitaker. From grades one through eight, she gave me confidence and strength 
to do what she knew I could do and was always there to wipe my tears. P.S. My father worked for her and her husband on their farm, so she knew what my home life was like. I had an alcoholic mother. Thank you for sharing that, Linda. Linda, that is uh, tough, and we appreciate uh, the time that you took to, to send us that. But Keith is going to win the day here. Keith says, the woman who made a difference in my life was my late wife who passed away in 2007. When I met her, my life was a mess. I was a gambling and drug addict. And still, she decided to pursue a relationship with me. She never judged me, just guided me in a positive direction. I guess her purpose in life was to open my and others' lives. After she died, I changed my life for the better and am so much happier than I was when I was abusing drugs and gambling. I miss her dearly, and I look forward to the day we meet again. Her name was Andrea, and he adds, uh, just wanted, he adds that he's a Transcona boy. Grew up in Transcona in the 70s. So didn't win because he's from Transcona. I found that out after we'd already made the call. I told Keith that it would might be impossible for us to read his text on the air, that perhaps there wasn't enough Kleenex in, in my nor your studio to do that. But you, you, you managed to get through it, McGarry. I guess I'm heartless. Well done, friend. Uh, so congratulations, Keith. When now Winnipeg Mayor Brian Bowman initially launched his campaign to become mayor of our city almost seven years ago, he envisioned an open to pedestrians portage in Maine and six lines of bus rapid transit as part of his Winnipeg by 2030. That's right, and that was his vision last year was to be the year of transit in our city. I don't know if it's exactly worked out that way. The Winnipeg Transit Master Plan has a unofficially made its way to public eyes and the recommendations are less ambitious than many may have hoped for perhaps more realistic for the only major city in Canada to see its ridership decrease over the past two decades in the eyes of others. Zach Fleischer has a copy of the master plan he is a transit advocate and he joins us now on the start. Good morning Zach. Good morning. How are you? We're doing all right. Let's start with the report itself. How large is it and what have you managed to digest so far? Well, I've uh, taken a few minutes uh, out of my workday to take a look at the report. and I promise uh, to uh, other folks that I will get back to them uh, very soon. I just want to read a few recommendations. Um, It says here that opportunities for expanded express service be identified and where feasible implemented and that the feasibility of on-street rapid bus be studied and where feasible implemented. And you might say, well, that's a pretty good idea. But I'm actually not reading the report that came out today. That line isn't from there. That report is from the final report to the Guide for Better Transit for Winnipeg from January 7th, 2000, 21 years ago. And so I think what this report shows, and taking it back to the, you know, the master plan that was released today, is that we're still struggling to figure out what exactly we want to do. And we come up with all these great strategies. And we don't stick with it. We don't, uh, we don't fund it properly. And so the question I would have for City Council is what's going to be different this time? We've been talking about rapid transit uh, since 1974, according to some estimates, uh, since 1958, according to others. So what's going to be different this time? 
Now, the vision for the future of transit will seem muted to some and perhaps overly ambitious for others. For example, I'm just looking at uh, one uh, highlight here that the city sent out in their news release just moments ago, uh, saying that the, the plan aims to make all stops, junctions, stations, and hubs universally accessible and facilitates the installation of 55 heated bus shelters throughout Winnipeg by 2025. That's not that far away. So again, perhaps overly ambitious, but doesn't that make it perfect for Winnipeg? Uh, Well, we are defined by our lack of ambition and movement uh, to improve our city. That is unfortunately something that uh, people point to. Um, I think with this plan, is it waters down previous promises by this mayor to have six legs of rapid transit by 2030? I mean, for those counting at home, that's only nine uh, years away. It's a watered down plan, and then we pushed it further down the road. So the question I would have is, you know, when we look back at Calgary and Edmonton in the 1970s and 80s, they built rapid transit. They got it done. They didn't uh, debate. They didn't uh, deliberate too too long. And the projects that they're considering are expansions of those projects, and instead. You know, over 40 years later, we're still having the same debate here. And so to those who say, you know, Winnipeg is good uh, with not being too ambitious, um, to me that that shows, uh, that demonstrates uh, thinking that our city is behind. Zach, Calgary's a great example. 1983 is when the C-Train first launched, uh, much uh, shorter in terms of the of the service and the length of rail uh, than it is now. It's a massive system compared to what it was uh, 37, 38 years ago. Calgary was smaller than Winnipeg when they started conceiving the C-Train, let alone when they first opened it. And now Calgary is uh, twice as big as the city of Winnipeg. And I don't think anybody would go out on a limb and say the reason Calgary is as large a a city as it is is because of its transit system. But that vision you cannot question. The vision you cannot discount as part of the reason it's successful and one of the most livable cities not only in Canada, but uh, one of the most livable cities in the world. And they're talking about a $6 billion, that's six with a B, billion dollar uh, extension, brand new, something called the Green Line that'll run north, south, in Calgary. Yes, it's controversial, but this entire plan, based on what I've seen so far, that came out in this master plan this morning, tops out at about $1.1 billion for the entire city of Winnipeg. What can you actually do with that amount of money? Um, there's, a great, uh, there's a great quote out there in, uh, in the world of transit, and it's, uh, a developed country is not, where the, uh, it's not a place where the poor have cars, it's where the rich use public transportation. And, you know, besides the class analysis you would see within that, uh, within that quote, I think in Calgary, people normalize using public transportation, and we're not seeing that here. When I talk to folks in Winnipeg who, you know, who don't have to use transit because they need to, because they have no other option, you're seen as kind of a pariah, you're seen as an outlier. And that really has hobbled our city. I think that we don't want to, we haven't invested in transit to the point um, that we, you know, it holds our city back. Um, and I think you, you see that in Calgary, where it's not a question of if we're going to do rapid transit, it's how much more can we expand to meet the needs of our, of our future. And I think, you know, within the pandemic, we've seen transit ridership drop, and I think that's going to be temporary, because I think, you know, with the whole working from home model and the flexible workplace model, you're not going to need uh, downtown parking spots. You're going to want to be able to hop on a bus twice a week to get to your office, and maybe you uh, stop by Tree North Square for a beer on your way home. 
um, and then you get back home. And that's the kind of vision of the city that we need. But instead, you know, we're putting out another vague plan. Um, it's a 15-year plan. The plan, it seems to me, um, is not so much building new transit legs, but it's uh, improving on-street on uh, service. And so I have to question, you know, if we're looking at primarily a plan that's going to have faster light, uh, potentially diamonds or lanes, timed life, why do we need 15 years for that? It's unclear to me why we're not moving faster. This kind of seems that if you had, you know, the right uh, political direction from city council, you could get this done in five years. Zach Fleischer is our guest. He is a transit advocate, and he's joined us this morning to discuss the Transit Master Plan, which has been released just as of within the last 15 minutes uh, here on this Monday morning. And, uh, Zach, in terms of, you you mentioned people who don't need to take transit because they have no other choice. Like, I I have a car, and if I need to get somewhere, I will typically drive, but I'm... I have no problem taking the bus. Like if I'm going downtown, like on a normal, normal time, I would, you know, if I was meeting friends downtown on a Friday night, I might hop a bus. No problem. But you mentioned, uh, you know, if you were using it every day uh, for, for longer purposes, like part of the, the problem if, is that keeps me from using transit more is the need to having to get a transfer. You know, if I need to, get, unless I'm going downtown, uh, I basically have to take uh, or almost have to get off and, and hope that my transfer works. So is that something else that they should be working on, too, is making the at, at the very least making the transfer situation more seamless? Yeah, it seems that they're starting to address that uh, that question here. Um, I hope that they can improve it. I mean, the reality is, is that if you're going to be uh, going from one end of the city to another, um, you're not always going through downtown. If you're going from, you know, River Heights to St. James, you're not going to go th- uh, down Portage Avenue um, and then further on. What you're going to do is you're going to take Route 90 because it's the fastest way to get there. And so I hope that this plan, you know, the key to it is we can have really, really nice drawings, but if we're not going to fund transit in a way that means that people uh, – can use the bus as an alternative and we're going to have enough frequent buses and stuff like that and it's not going to work. Some people will go the other route and they'll say, uh, Zach, we need LRT, we need something fancier, we need something sexier to appeal to those. You outlined that whole notion of uh, transit uh, system and a community overall is more successful when people who don't necessarily have to take transit uh People who who take it because it's convenient, that's the key. That's the tipping point in making it convenient. And there'll be some that say LRT and that sort of setup is something that we need. How how come we have this such a a broad diversity of opinions on what would make Winnipeg Transit work? It it feels like if we don't have a Cadillac, nobody's going to use it. And then others say, you know what? Really all I want is a bus shelter at the end of my street and a bus that comes when it says it's going to come. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. I think what's happened is because we've debated it so long, we've taken such a long time, people have had plenty of time to develop their own opinions, and they've been able to travel to other cities, pre-COVID, obviously, um, and they say, well, this worked here and this worked here. So I don't know if there's a silver bullet here, but I think the real the reality is, is that we haven't moved in the past, and it's unclear to me if we're going to commit to moving in the future. Zach Fleischer joining us live on 680 CJOB. Zach, thank you so much for the time. We very much appreciate it, sir. Appreciate it, and I hope to see you folks on the bus in, uh, in due time.
Zach Fleischer is a transit advocate joining us to talk about Winnipeg's transit master plan just released this morning. And we'll have more on this, I'm sure, throughout the day on 680 CJOB. And you'll be able to read more as well at cjob.com or globalnews.ca slash Winnipeg. Also at cjob.com, we have our question of the day, which is brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. And it has to do with grocery shopping. We heard from Global's Merrick to Cash earlier this morning at 6.35. As we take a look this week, one year of the pandemic in Manitoba, and Merrick focused on grocery shopping. So the question is, how have your grocery shopping habits changed over the last year? And so far, 40 say my shopping habits have not changed. 11% say I now order my groceries for delivery or pickup. Uh, 38% say I go to the store less often. And 4% say I stock up on items I didn't buy before. So you can cast your vote at cjob.com. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.